0: To, uh, just two scriptures, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Psalm 138 in the Old Testament and Philippians chapter 1 in the New Testament. So Psalm 138 and verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. The Lord will perfect or complete or bring to fullness that which concerns me. And in a companion verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul said, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Most of us are not very good At finishing things. How many diets have we started but gave up halfway through? How many books did we begin to read and we did not finish? New Year's resolutions usually last about mid January. We mean well, our intentions are good, we want to do it, but somehow or other we tire and we get frustrated or we lose our motivation, our interest grows, and we just simply quit. Now this can apply also to our spiritual lives. Oftentimes spiritually we start, but we do not finish. But God is not like that. God always finishes what he starts. When it comes to perfecting our lives when it comes to fulfilling our lives, his great plan for each and every one of us, he does not quit. He doesn't give up. He won't quit on the job. In fact, he will continue no matter how much it takes, no matter how long it takes, he will continue until he finally sees that which he wants emerge. Like the gardener who prunes his plants, cuts out all the dead wood, like the sculptor who chips away at the marble, like the woodcarver who shaves off until finally he gets what he wants. That's what God is like. If our desire is to be in his image, then God will do what he wants to do, no matter how long that takes, in order to perfect us. Each of us today, without exception, is a work in progress. We're not completed yet. We're not perfected yet. Far from it. But he's still working on us, isn't he? Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the psalmist says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Peter was a work in progress. Yes, he often spoke out of turn. Yes, he was opinionated. Yes, he thought he was braver than he actually was. Yes, he even at one time denied his Lord. But Jesus saw so much potential in him. And Jesus did not give up on him. He had to print away the dead wood. He had to chip away at the hard places. He had to shave off layers here and there. But finally, the Peter that God saw and wanted him to be finally emerged. Jesus never gave up on him. And on that post-resurrection morning when he met Jesus on the seashore, after a night of fruitless fishing, he took Peter aside and he asked him those three times, Do you love me? And then he said to Peter, Feed my lambs feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. And from the day of Pentecost, when he became that great evangelist and 3,000 people got saved when he preached his first sermon, from that moment on, he became, in fact, the first half of the book of Acts, he became the most prominent apostle in the early church. He became what God wanted him to be. I think that Jesus saw two things in Peter particularly, in spite of all of his faults and all of his feelings and all of his shortcomings. And who among us hasn't got them? Hmm? Who among us doesn't have our shortcomings and our faults and our feelings? But in spite of that, I think Jesus saw two things in Peter that he was willing to work on. Uh, And one was his desire to repent. When he needed to repent, he repented. And his humility. You know in John 21 where Jesus met the disciples on the seashore. and After they came back that night and caught no fish. And when Jesus took him aside and he asked him those three times, do you love me? I mean that really, really, really touched his heart. It really melted him. And he really humbled himself deeply. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then, of course, remember Jesus, how he told him that before the cock would crow in the morning, he would deny him three times. And how at the house of the high priest and out there in the courtyard, just within earshot, Peter was standing, warming himself at the fire, and he was asked three times, weren't you with Jesus? And three times... He denied. And the third denial, the Bible says, while he was yet speaking, that rooster crowed. And I think that rooster never crowed as loud in all of its life. And amid all the hubbub and all the murmuring that was going on at that trial, that rooster could be heard. And Jesus immediately turned around and looked right in the eyes of Peter. And the Bible says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He truly, truly repented. Judas went out and hung himself, but Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was a man who could repent. He was a man who would be humbled You and I are a work in progress. If we, like Peter, are willing to repent when we have to and when we need to, and if we're willing to be humbled and to be humble, then for sure God will complete that which concerns us. God will make sure he finishes what he has started in our lives. David was a work in progress. David was uncommonly brave. With his bare hands, just as a boy, he fought a lion and a bear, two of the most dangerous and ferocious animals in the kingdom. Then as a lad, he slew Goliath with a slingshot. He was uncommonly brave. All of those soldiers, even Jonathan, who was courageous, didn't dare to take on Goliath But David did. He was a a musician of excellence. The Bible says that David played the harp skillfully. He was a tremendous writer of, of poetry and of hymns and the Psalms testify to that gift that he had to do that. He was a great ruler of his people. People loved him. He was the best king that Israel ever had. And yet in spite of all of that, He had his weaknesses that led him into sin and disgrace. It caused him to commit adultery with Bathsheba. It caused him to be complicit in the very death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, one of his greatest and bravest soldiers. He wasn't such a good father, actually. You know, he could have run his home a lot better than he did, and it was to come back to haunt him in later life. But in spite of all of his faults and failings, he was a man that could and did repent and humble himself before God. Psalm 51 is that great prayer of repentance. This is after he finally was confronted with Nathan the prophet. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Notice how he owns his sin. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. This is a man who is truly repentant before God. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In a hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Did you notice what he said? Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was something. It was a plant that grew on the walls in Jerusalem, but it was a plant that very often was used by the priests when it came to the ceremonially ceremonial cleansing of the lepers. At this moment, he's thinking of himself as a leper, as untouchable. That's what he's thinking. That's how he sees himself. He is truly repentant. He's owning his own failures and mistakes and sins before God. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then he says, do not cast me away from your presence you know that was a big fear he had he saw King Saul lose the presence of God he saw God that had totally completely cast him away and he was afraid that that would happen to him please God do not cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me do you know that's the very first time in Scripture that that title was given to the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit. You see, he sees himself in the light of God's holiness and he feels like a leper. So we can see he's truly and honestly repentant. Second time, by the way, that that title is given, the Holy Spirit, is in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10 to 11. And that's when the people had vaxxed the Spirit of God. And he's the Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. David was a work in progress. You know, God called him a man after his own heart. God called him that long before we have revealed to us his sinfulness. But do you think that God, do you think he didn't know already that David would fall? Sure, he did. God knows everything. But even knowing that in advance, He still called him a man after my own heart because in spite of all of his feelings and his faults and his stumbling, in spite of all of that, he had a heart for God and that counts with God. If you've got a heart for God, that doesn't mean to say, I'm not saying that we should just go out and sin at will. God forbid we do that. But in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our sinfulness, if we have a heart after God, he will work on us. And he will not stop until he is finished making us into the person that he wants us to be. Jacob was a work in progress. It took over 20 years to turn Jacob the deceiver into Israel, a prince with God. He was a conniver, a manipulator. Remember, he and his mother connived together to get Esau's birthright. It wasn't too hard because Esau didn't really want it. He didn't care anything for it. And if they had to wait it, God would have given it to them anyway, but they couldn't wait. They wouldn't trust God, so they connived together to get this birthright. He tricked his father. When his father was old and blind, he tricked his own father to get this And then, of course, what you sow, you reap. And whenever he fled to Nathan, Uncle Nathan's house, and he fell in love with Rachel, how that Nathan tricked him and deceived him, and he ended up with Leah. And he had to work all of those extra years in order to get the woman he truly loved, Rachel. And then he decided to go back home again after 20 years with the death threat of Esau still hanging over his head. And on the way home, at Jabbok, that's where he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And at that moment, at that time, after that night of wrestling, that's when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, a prince with God. God broke him, and God remade him, and shaped him into the man they intended him to be. In Genesis 27, verse 32, don't turn to it. Genesis 27, 32, when deceiving his father Isaac, you remember he put on that goat skin on his arms and the old blind father, even though he, it felt like the hands of Esau, but his voice was like the voice of Jacob. And he says, who are you, my son? and Jacob said I'm your son Esau he blatantly lied and then in Genesis 32:27 isn't it interesting in Genesis 27:32 he lied about his name but in Genesis 32:27 he told the truth about his name that's when he had that wrestling with the angel And the angel said, what is your name? As if he didn't know. But he wanted him to admit something. He says, my name is Jacob. He was owning and admitting, I'm the deceiver. I was the cheater. I was the one who stole the birthright. And he's repenting and he's owning. And that's when he humbled himself and he repented that God changed him and gave him a new name, Israel. And from Jacob or Israel would come those 12 sons and would come those 12 tribes of Israel. Do you believe today that what God has started in you, he will complete? Are you wondering how? Do you doubt that he can do it? See, in Psalm 138, David was struggling with how God's promises and God's purposes for his life, how that was all going to pan out. See, this psalm was probably written when David was on the run and exile from his own son Absalom, who wanted to kill him. He was stealing his very throne from him. And there he was out, hiding in caves and dens, wondering, trouble on every side. Betrayed by Ahithophel, who was Bathsheba's grandfather, who was his personal confidant for years. And here he is, trouble on every side, wondering how in the world can God work this out. I know he has a plan for me. I know he was raised up to be king, but look at me, look at my situation right now. Can God perfect him? Can God finish what he has started? Of course he can. And he did. What did David do at that point in Psalm 138? What would you do? What would you do if you're sitting here today and you're wondering and maybe even doubting that God can finish what he has started in your life? And you're thinking, how can God complete me? I've messed up. I've got off track. How can God do this? Never underestimate God. If we repent, if we have sinned, and if we humble ourselves before Almighty God, He can finish what He has started in our lives. In verse 1, He says, I will praise you with my whole heart. You know, if that had been us, we wouldn't have been praising God. We would have been sending up our petitions. We would have been bombarding heaven with our petitions. But he's praising God first. There's something about praising God that changes things. David started praising God with his whole heart. Nothing half-hearted here. With full intention, by a deliberate act, he must have said, I will praise the Lord. He wasn't waiting for circumstances to be in his favor first, which is what we normally would do. But he simply praised God wholeheartedly. It's always good to praise God, of course. And it's good to praise God when things are going well. Why not? Give him thanks for it. But how much better when things are not going well? How much more does that please the heart of God when things are not going well and in spite of it and in the midst of it, we still are found praising God. And this was the psalmist. And then he says something in verse 2. I will worship towards your holy temple. Now this is fantastic. And don't miss the point of it. Because at this point in David's life, the temple hadn't even been built. This is why some people say David didn't write this, but he did write it. It's very Davidic. No mistaking it. David was looking ahead. David had the temple in his heart. It was his desire to build the temple. Now we know that eventually God gave that privilege to his son Solomon. David provided all the finances to do it. But it was in David's heart. And it was in his thoughts and his mind. I imagine he could see himself in the temple with his hands up, praising God. But it hadn't happened yet. But an expectation. And in a sense, he was saying, God, you will complete me. You will finish what you've started in my life. Yes, I'm in the caves. I'm in the dens. Yes, my son has stolen my throne. Yes, he wants to kill me. But, but you will finish what you've started in my life. By faith, David saw God perfecting his life. It wouldn't end in a cave in the desert. It would end on a throne in Jerusalem with all Israel. Hailing him as the great king. Verse 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Psalms are great when you're going through stuff. They really are. You know, when you're younger, the Psalms doesn't mean a whole lot to you, generally speaking, because you haven't lived long enough. You haven't gone through a lot of stuff, generally speaking. But when you get older, and you've lived a while, and you've gone through some things, and you've had some experiences, then the Psalms become very real, and you can identify What are your challenges today? What is challenging you today? It could be physical. It could be spiritual. It could be financial. It could be relational. Can you say like David, David, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me in this issue? Can you say like Paul, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in me will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Yes. Hebrews 12 and 2, Jesus is the author and he's the finisher of our faith, isn't he? Revelation 1 and 8, he is the alpha and he's the omega, the beginning and the end. Genesis is a book of beginnings. Revelation is a book of endings. Genesis is the origin of all things, except God, of course. Revelation is the consummation of all things. Genesis is the beginning. We see in Genesis the beginning of creation, the beginning of a family, the beginning of nations, and particularly we see the beginning of a specific nation, Israel, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see the history of mankind in general, but from 12 onwards, we see the history of a nation, in particular, Israel. And it's from Israel that Christ, the Messiah of the nation, and the Savior of the world, would come forth from. What does it say in the little book of Micah? don't need to turn to this. Micah 5 and 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel." And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Who's that talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise. He said that Satan would bruise the heel of Christ, that Christ would bruise his head. He would break his authority and power. In Revelation 20.10, we see the consummation of all of this, where it says the devil who had deceived the nations was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and forever. What he starts, he finishes. No matter how long it takes, no matter that the promises and prophecies are seven thousand years old or seven hundred years old, makes no difference. God will finish what he has started. Every prophecy in Scripture will be fulfilled. Every promise and Scripture will be honored. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Every person who put their trust in Christ will be completed, perfected in him. Can I hear an amen? amen? So can you trust him today to finish what he has started in you? Is his word true for you today? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even unto the end. There's a promise. Can you trust God? Can you hold on to that? Can you say, God, what you started in my life, I believe you will finish? And Lord, if I have messed up, if I've got it wrong, if I have sinned, Lord, forgive me. I humble myself before you. But Lord, I want you to finish your work in me. And I'm going to keep on, by the grace of God, I'm going to keep on keeping on until he completes the job. And I don't know how long that's going to take, but I'm going to make it my business to keep following him until he does. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we return thanks to you this morning for all of your mercies in our lives. We bless you for that wonderful grace and mercy that you so freely bestowed among us. Thank you for it, Lord. Bless you for all the giftings that you have given to each and every one of us, for all of the good things. But Lord, above all, we thank you today for so great salvation. You saved us and you have kept us. And you're molding and you're making and you're shaping us into the image that you have of us since before the world began. Thank you that your plans for us are good, not evil, and they will give us a hope and a future. We bless you for that. So we go out of this house today rejoicing in your mercies and in your goodness, knowing, Lord, if we trust you, that you will shape and mold us into your image. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.